you know, as far as like jumping into single family versus multifamily, another thing that that really did for me was get me the experience that I needed um, to continue growing into those larger multifamily assets. Um, as we know, you know, if you want to get agency debt, which is, you know, dire- borrowing directly from Fannie and Freddie, uh, typically they're going to have the best terms for loans, et cetera, but they also want somebody, a borrower that has some experience, usually that's already done an agency loan before. And so by getting into this deal or excuse me, they, they want somebody that's already done multifamily before. And so by getting into this deal as early as I could in my career process, it kind of set me up for the deals right after that to be able to get a hold of better debt because now I have experience. They know that I've uh, gone full cycle on a 32 unit, things like that. I know people on the extreme side who say, well, this is a 1954 building. It's 42% occupied and I've done this on a building in, in Augusta, right? We just vacated mm-hmm. everything. We said, all right, we're, we're going to vacate everything and we're going to go building by building and blitz it and lease back up. But I was prepared for no cash flow. For you know, I was like, exactly. I have to burn expenses for a while to do this. And you just got to plan for it. And so like, I love that you went there with it. But think about the alternative, folks. A lot of people come on this show or, or they, they, uh, they, address, they come at me like, hey, man, how do, how, do I, how do I take down that big, sexy 250 unit deal? Like you shouldn't. Yeah. You, you really, I, I, I agree with the go bigger, it go as big as your comfortable mindset, but I do not agree with someone who is green without, without a, an experienced operator. You're listening to the real estate runway podcast powered by Quattro capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, all right, all right. Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. We are back in action after our month-long break, so good to see you all. As a reminder, we are here for you at Real Estate Runway. If you have any questions, if you have things you want to hear on the show, drop it in the comments. Hit us at podcast at thequattroway.com, and we'd be happy to bring someone on or, or have a topic and feature that. And remember, if you get any value out of this show or anything we do, just interact with it wherever you listen to it. Swipe on TikTok, give us a five-star review on podcast, make some comments in LinkedIn, like us, subscribe, wherever you are, just interact with it. Share the show with someone who you think will benefit from the value we're about to give you today and just pay it forward, folks. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show today. We have Mr. Sean D. Martell. Sean, this one's been a long time coming. Welcome to the show, brother. How you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on your show, brother. Absolutely. And as we do, I want to hear about you first, man. So tell the, tell the audience a little bit about you, your background, why you got into what you're doing, you know, and let's start from there and then we'll see where this goes. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, starting from the top, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, came out to San Diego, California, where I'm at now in about 2011 because I joined the Navy, uh, served in the Navy for five years as an air traffic controller Got out of the Navy and got hired here in San Diego again, but this time by the FAA as an air traffic controller. So I worked doing for them for about six years. And, um, uh, you know, while I was working, this was my dream job, by the way, it was to work as an air traffic controller for the FAA. It's a great job. It pays well and all that. Uh, but it has crappy hours, um, shift work. And after I started really like kind of locking into the grind, I was like realizing, like, man, I don't know if I want to 
just keep doing this of working six day work weeks, go home, have a little bit of time to get all my chores and errands done and then go and repeat that. And long story short, I had a buddy that was in real estate uh, as an agent and had told me probably this is probably five or six years ago. He told me about the Bigger Pockets podcast. And I listened to that while I was on a road trip and I was just hooked because I just I kept hearing all of these stories of everyday people like PE teachers and single mothers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that had built small real estate portfolios and were able to quit their jobs and support their family. And that just rung a bell. And really from there, it was just a matter of me going down the rabbit hole with every single book I heard mentioned on a podcast. I'd buy it. I'd read it. I'd study. And then it just became something that I was really passionate about. And as time went on, I was looking for deals. I ended up partnering with some people to get my very first deal, which was a 32-unit multifamily. So like, I didn't even start with the small stuff. Um, I liquidated my 401k in order to JV on that deal. Um, and just really dove all in. Flash forward a couple of years, I've, I've got a, a really good mentor since then. Uh, started syndicating properties with my mentor. And now today, I'm at about 300, a little over 300 units, uh, multifamily units. And I've got you know a couple Airbnbs. I bought and sold a boutique hotel and kind of bounced around a little bit. So I guess that's the uh, 30,000 foot view of my story and where I'm at today. I'm also a podcast host myself and I've kind of branched out into eat, sleep and breathe real estate. And I did quit that W2 job last year. Yeah, folks. And it's a congratulations on that. And, and folks, if you uh, stick around till the end, we're going to ask Sean to give us a little plug on what podcast that is that he's running. So you can get some more value from Sean on his airwaves as well. So I highly encourage that hang out till the end. So Sean, let's, let's get into unpacking some of that, right? So uh, one thing that resonated with me was was something I do as well, right? You read every book, every podcast. You know, what, what do you think the be- like in your eyes? What's the benefit of just not just picking up one, but reading all of them? You know, and trying to distill the themes there. What would you learn from that? I think that the benefit of just doing that that kind of process and just reading, getting everything you can get your hands on, is that you get something unique really out of every single one of those books. So even if there's like two books on multifamily, I feel like I've been able to extract something unique from every single book that I've read that I can pile on to like my knowledge base. Um, and I really think that the podcasts too; those that I think those were just as big as the books because with podcasting, you're hearing stories and people's experiences. And all, all the time you're going to hear about, well, I ran into this issue, so I fixed that issue doing this, or here's how I resolved this thing. And then sure enough, sometimes that exact same situation will happen, happen to you and, you'll, and in the back of your mind, in your toolbox, you'll remember that and then you know, have the solution to the problem, or you can even avoid the problem altogether by hearing somebody else's story. So I, I like both of those uh, methods just because they're also either cheap or free. Podcasts are free, books are cheap. But um, I, I learned just so much information by doing that and giving myself a good base to jump in. Granted, as we know, uh, eventually you just have to jump in because, like, you know, you could read all day all you want and listen to podcasts all you want and you just won't learn everything. 
But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and like, you know, the cool thing about podcasts, we live in such a great time, folks, where it, whether it's podcasts or YouTube, it's all the same to me, right? But that is current mm -hmm. information. Like this podcast is being recorded on December 8th. And I bet you my bottom dollar, you're going to hear it before Christmas. And I still don't know how to use these Apple emojis. So sorry for the thumbs up if you're on YouTube. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so it's very current, whereas a book, which is also great and, and has like timeless information in a lot of cases, because it's usually what's been distilled over a career, for example, you get a different mode of learning. You get something that may be more timeless. The book may have been written 10 years ago. So no, every strategy that they use may not work today. There may be something that's changed, but the timeless information, think about overarching things like how to not use too much leverage in real estate, how to buy for cash flow, how to buy quality real estate. That doesn't change over time that much. You know, so I, I love right. that you, you echoed, you know, me on that one, Sean, and, uh, let, let's, let's get into some stuff here. So, uh, another thing it. that resonated with me was you, you know, you, you, you say I didn't start with a small stuff and you were talking about multi or a single family, but you did start with a small multifamily. And since then, I'm sure you've done much larger deals, you know, talk mm -hmm. about, you know, your experience starting with a 32 unit building and, and, and to contrast that what might you have done differently or, or learned differently had you done real or single family first or a 300 unit building first? I'm, I'm just curious how the 32 fit as a good starting place, you know? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that 32, you know, the good, a lot of the good things it did for me was it allowed me to get my feet wet probably at a more forgiving time of the market, I, I could say. Um, you know, it was a time where if you made a couple mistakes because, you know, cap rates kept declining, it was you were forgiven for it a little bit more on the on the exit. Uh, so like my timing of that kind of worked out. But everything else, like in regards to that 32 unit, I think it was a really good way for me to get my feet wet into this, the commercial size assets. Um, a couple of things like, for example, that I learned by doing that was. Sort of the. Um, what what's the right, right way to put it? How to maneuver your vacancy, your upcoming lease expirations, et cetera. So like when I went into this 32 unit, all I wanted to do was renovate all the units as fast as humanly possible. And that way I can increase the value as, as quickly as possible, right? That's what I, I was all about, like adding value, adding value. So this property was in a really great neighborhood, but it it was 1967 vid or 68 vintage and hadn't really been fixed up in a long time. And when I took over, four of the units were down units that needed to be fixed up before they couldn't even be rented. And then as time went on uh, and I was renovating those units, you know, within a couple of weeks, a couple more leases were coming due. And I had the decision of, okay, I could just try and renew them or I can go ahead and um, just not renew them so I can go in and make my renovations. And one of the things that happened was so many units ended up simultaneously leaving and going vacant. And then I think one other person just stopped paying rent and then ditched um, was that I ended up with really a really high vacancy number. And so I was cash flow in the red. And that wasn't something that I necessarily planned for. So I made big mistakes in that sense. And it kind of taught me the importance of managing my occupancy a lot better to ensure that I'm cash flowing to, to ensure that the property is healthy instead of just all of a sudden dropping it down to, you know, 70% occupancy just because I want to flip all the units. Um, but, you know, as far as like jumping into single family versus multifamily, another thing that that really did for me was get me the experience that I needed. Um, 
to continue growing into those larger multifamily assets. Um, as we know, you know, if you want to get agency debt, which is, you know, direct, borrowing directly from Fannie and Freddie, uh, typically they're going to have the best terms for loans, et cetera, but they also want somebody, a borrower that has some experience, usually that's already done an agency loan before. And so by getting into this deal or excuse me, they, they want somebody that's already done multifamily before. And so by getting into this deal as early as I could in my career process, it kind of set me up for the deals right after that to be able to get a hold of better debt because now I have experience. They know that I've uh, gone full cycle on a 32 unit, things like that. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend going, jumping into a 32 unit for just everybody out there because it is a big risk. I will say that I made a lot of other mistakes as well. Um, that I've since been able to learn from those mistakes and apply to future deals. But um, it, it was a big risk. Like one of the things, and a couple of the things that went wrong, for example, was I didn't do as good of an inspection when I went into this 32 unit. So a lot of things ended up coming up that I did not have the capital set aside for. And so I had to pull capital from other parts of the business plan. So for example, um, the first summer of owning that 32 unit, we just had air conditioners dropping like flies. Like they were just like unusable. They, they broke to the point of no return and I, I would have to replace them for 4,500 bucks. And on top of that, there were some uh, drainage pipes that were made out of clay that had collapsed. We had some cast iron piping that was really corroded and not a lot of water was getting through it. And if I had just done a more thorough inspection on the beginning by paying for the inspector to scope every single sewer line, I probably could have avoided a lot of those issues or at least been prepared for them and raised the capital for it or found a partner to bring in some more capital. So, you know, there's a laundry list of a lot of things I learned throughout that process from front to back, but we still ended up making really well. I mean, we tripled our initial investment in just a little over two years. So everything worked out great according to plan. But uh, I definitely uh, learned the ropes on that 32 unit for my first deal. You know, I love when I give someone a softball and they just slam it over the fence. That's exactly where I was hoping you would go with it. So, so thank you for that. Sweet. Like, like some of the stuff that you said there, guys, you know, I've, I've mentioned this on the show before. I mean, my first multifamily deal, you know, back and back when was a 35 unit deal. And I'm, and I did a couple of twenties and a couple of tens and I, I didn't really graduate, if you will, to above a hundred until, I don't know, I probably had 200 units under my belt. And it was, it was a great experience because just like what Sean is saying, the, these buildings, when you have single family assets separate, right? It's, it's, they're all a little bit different, but they're not connected, right? In any way, mm -hmm. in a multifamily asset, think about this. And, and he really hit this on the head with the physics of occupancy, right? There really are physics mm -hmm. of how these things operate. If this, if you do this, this will happen, cause and effect. And so he said, well, you know, I, I wanted to push rents. I wanted to get the work done and get the, the income up as high as possible. Well, guess what? You know, you can only go so fast to construction unless you're big and have muscle to go do 200 units at one time, which most don't starting out. And so you probably mm -hmm. have Bubba and local guys who, who can do one or two units at a time. Well, if you just vacated 16 units, that's going to take you a few months to get that done and catch up and leased and inspected and things aren't yep. going to go perfect and all that kind of stuff. And so what he's saying is he experienced a lot lower cash flow than he thought he was going to have because he probably didn't connect in his mind at the time that, gee, if I go fast, they're going to be down for longer. 
and I'm going to lose that cash flow. And so you can do that. The physics are there. If you just like, I know people on the extreme side who say, well, this is a 1954 building. It's 42% occupied. And I've done this on a building in, in Augusta, right? We just vacated mm -hmm. everything. We said, all right, we're, we're going to vacate everything. And we're going to go building by building and blitz it and lease back up. But I was prepared for no cash flow for, you know, I was like, exactly. I have to burn expenses for a while to do this and you just got to plan for it. And so like, I love that you went there with it, but think about the alternative folks. A lot of people come on this show or, or they, they, uh, they address, they come at me like, Hey man, how do how do I, how do I take down that big, sexy 250 unit deal? Like you shouldn't. Yeah. You, you really, I, I, I agree with the go bigger, it go as big as your comfortable mindset, but I do not agree with someone who is green without, without a, an experienced operator taking down multiple hundred units because that same problem he that he experienced there he would have found himself with about 80 or 100 units vacant and down for months yep. and that's a much like these are just bigger beasts the physics are the same but it takes more capital more time more effort to correct a problem so man fantastic way to hit that ball of the park dude couldn't agree more yeah so let's let's pivot a little bit and let's go to you know you're you're operating primarily in San Diego right and I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna address the elephant in the room right so uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot of people are you know who who talk about real estate say stay as far away from California as possible I'm just gonna stop talking and say go <laughs> yeah no I'm glad you did because uh, that's the elephant in the room that I always like to address well first of all most of my assets are not in San Diego as of right now so 295 units are in North Carolina okay um, but as of recently. Uh, meaning like within the past year, my partner and I pivoted to San Diego. So let's address that elephant in the room. People often say, you know, everybody, people on bigger pockets, Brandon Turner will say, I don't invest in California for uh, X, Y, and Z. And for most of my career, uh, I agreed for the same reasons. Um, you know, they do have landlord-tenant laws that are skewed way in the ten tenant's favor. Um, real estate is extremely expensive out here. In order to cash flow on properties, you have to put a lot more money down. So there's a, a larger barrier to entry. Like if you wanted to get a 250 unit in San Diego, I mean, you're talking $100 million uh, for depending on where it's at. Um, so, you know, depending on the assets you're, you're trying to target, it's not an easy market to get things done. Um, you know, the landlord tenant laws are such that it's a lot harder if you're going to do a value add plan to say, hey, I don't want to renew your guys' uh, leases. I'm sorry, but we're doing a major renovation to the property. Um, so, the, you know, we're going to renovate your units, et cetera. Um, we're not renewing. You can't really do that here in, in most cities in Southern California because tenants have tenant rights. They have the right to that spot for basically as long as you're following the rent laws and you don't have cause to not renew or evict them. Usually that means like, you know, if they've broken any rules, broken their lease, um, or you need to evict them, that would be like due cause to get them out of there. But if they're paying their rent on time and you're only raising rent, you know, 5% or whatever, they can stay there if they want. So it makes underwriting a value-add multifamily property really difficult to be accurate because, you know, if you're saying, okay, I think I'm estimating that we're going to rent, renovate, you know, this percentage of the units every single month and will be completed in two years with the renovations. Well, that's out the window in, in California yeah. because I have no idea when I'm going to be able to get these tenants out if they don't want to leave. Now, on, on the one hand, I think some people uh, bash that a little too extreme because it's not that common, uh, depending on your asset class, for tenants to be like that, right? 
um, you know, people hear about cash for keys in California, people giving $20,000 for the tenant to move out just so they can get in there and, and do their value add plan. That is not as common as people make it seem when you hear people on podcasts, et cetera. And in addition to that, the landlord tenant laws do not apply if your property was built after I think 2015. Um, so if it's a new construction build, you can raise rents as much as you want. Now I say all of that because those are all of the reasons that I've never been interested in value add uh, multifamily in San Diego. And I didn't become interested in San Diego until two years ago, they released their bonus ADU program. So I'm going to try and do this as quickly as possible because I know we don't have a ton of time, but essentially hey, if we're giving value, we're going to do it. So keep going, Sean. <laughs> Let's go. So a lot of your listeners, I'm sure have heard of accessory dwelling units, otherwise known as ADUs. It's kind of a hot topic that California, I, I believe, pioneered, right? You, you're starting to hear this across the country a little bit more. You might have heard them as called as granny flats or whatever, but essentially you can have a house and you can put like one, maybe two apartment units in the back and kind of transform this into a duplex or triplex and have that as a rental, which adds a ton of value to your house. Well, San Diego has a unique problem different from the rest of California. They are, San Diego is geographically constrained by the ocean to the west, Mexico to the south, mountainous terrain to the east, and Camp Pendleton military base to the north. All of the buildable land has been taken in San Diego. San Diego has the least amount of buildable land in the country next to, I think, Miami. And because of that, they had to come up with a new solution. So what they did is they decided they have to increase density, obviously. And to do that, they created a new model based off of the ADU model, which allows you to build an unlimited number of ADUs on a, uh, on a, a lot that is in what's called the transit priority area. So basically, if it's within a, a half a mile of major public transportation, and if it's a multifamily zoned a lot, you can do this to single family, but usually you can only add like two or three. So if it's a multifamily zone lot, if I'm in the transit priority area, and I can build an unlimited number of these ADUs up to the floor area ratio. So I won't get into all the like confusing stuff, but what this means is that I can buy a multifamily zone lot that's got a single family house on it, and I can put a 30 unit apartment complex on there. Wow. Or I can uh, put a 10 unit apartment complex. So a perfect example, there was a, uh, one of my projects is a single family home that was on a multifamily, that's on a multifamily zone lot on a hill overlooking the ocean a half a mile from the beach in Ocean Beach. Now, this property is going to be a 10-unit apartment complex when I'm finished. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, okay, that's pretty small. It's not huge. They're right. You're not going to be building 250-unit apartment complexes. You're going to be typically anywhere from 10 to I've seen 30, 40, 50 units. And there has been a 100. Uh, the record so far in San Diego is a 146 unit. And these are all ADUs. Now, um, people are hearing this and thinking, okay, what happens after you build all these ADUs? They are ADUs or accessory dwelling units only in name. It's only referring to the uh, part of the municipal code that allows you to build these units. Outside of that, they look, act, and sell just like apartment units. So in other words, this place, this ocean beach project that I have where I have a house and I'm making it a 10-unit apartment right by the beach that is going to be sold and traded just like an apartment complex. Somebody can't come in with an FHA loan and buy that and, and own it. So a couple of things that I really love about this plan before we can maybe unpack a little bit more, because uh, I've already gone for a long time here, is number one, 
I don't have to, I'm not going to be inheriting tenants that it's difficult for me to project what my um, turnover rate's going to be. Two, I'm buying an asset that I can either Airbnb, midterm rental, or long-term rental so that I can eliminate one of the big risks of development, which is holding costs, right? Because I buy this house or I, let's assume I buy a, a vacant plot of land to do traditional development. I'm sitting there paying that, that debt and I'm paying taxes while I'm making no money. With this form of development, I have an asset that I actually can bring in cash from um, to reduce or eliminate those holding costs. So I love that about it. And number three, I'm putting new products on the line in some of the most coveted neighborhoods here um, where otherwise there aren't any being built. So for example, that Ocean Beach project, there have been zero new deliveries in the past, I think three or four years. So I get a lot of advantages in that way. I don't, you know, there's a whole list of things that I don't have to do that traditional developers do have to do. I've got faster permitting timelines. The list goes on. Um, but I'm able to build these for about $200,000 per unit. And these multifamily units that are A-class in San Diego will sell for north of $400,000 per unit. So I have a good delta. I've got reduced holding costs. I can place my place great tenants at market uh, rate rents without having to worry about uh, the minutia of turning these units. And I'm in a market of San Diego where a lot of people want to live here. It's not like San Francisco where tons of people are moving out. On average, we have 17 renters competing for the same apartment here in San wow. Diego. So there's a ton of demand. Uh, San Diego is now the highest demand market in the state of California for renters. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of stop there because I can sometimes digress too much. But um, that's why we're focusing on San Diego. It's a new strategy and it just makes sense for us. Uh, it's, it, we're, and we're taking what the defense has given us. So they're yeah. smaller projects, but um, they still have a big pop. Um, for those listening that are hearing, okay, 10, 20, 30 units, I mean, a 20-something unit in San Diego can go for north of $20 million. So you're still talking big zeros, but a little different. Yeah, and, and man, unpack some of that here. So um, this is, folks, this is kind of like the super value add concept that you've heard me talk about, except it's hyper-local, right? And, and to remind you, that's where you, you acquire, you know, call it a 30 or 40 unit value add that's, that was built at the time on large acreage, and you can go build maybe 30 or 40 more. So your super value add is you fix what's there, and you, you know, build new, and now you've got a great basis on, on uh, you know, half new build. So what's cool about this, and I, th I think I heard you say if it's built after 2015, some of the landlord tenant uh, laws don't really apply. Is that right? That is true. Now with this model though, there is a catch. Okay. So basically after you've built a certain number of these ADUs, there's these, there's some calculations for how many you get buy right at market rates. Okay. Once you hit this, that your limit on that and you're doing the bonus program, essentially for every market rent unit you build, uh, you have to match it or put another unit there that is deed restricted or rent restricted Good. for 15 years. Yeah. And they base it off of the area median income, which essentially can mean a couple hundred dollars difference in some neighborhoods and some neighborhoods, it's the same as market rent. But so depending on the project that might make it not make sense, but most of our projects uh, that we're using the program, it does. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and that's fantastic because again, you know, you're building new asset basically, right? And so your your opex yep. is going to be lower. You can and, and you're able to kind of solve a need. This is just a lesson, folks, that when you do what the government needs you to do, you are compensated, right? And then mm -hmm. in, in this case, it's the ability to build things where others can't. You know, and, and maybe I don't know if there's tax breaks and things that go with it as well, but they're incentivizing right. Sean to solve a problem. And so I know a lot of we hear value add real estate and we think, OK, let's go get the highest rent possible, maximize, maximize. But, you know, I, I, what I think we all know has been created is a void. We've pushed rents a lot in the last, you know, five years. And so if you figure out how to be different and how to help solve the affordable housing problem, or, or just in Sean's case, the housing problem, there is, isn't housing period, right. right? Then you're going to be warmly compensated for it. And so, you know, think about how to do that. And, and it, again, it, it, it bigger is not always better, right? It's, it sounds like the dollars are definitely there. And, uh, but you know, Sean is, Sean gets to sleep at night. He's able to solve a problem, do good by people and make money while he's doing it because he's doing what San Diego needs. And so you kind of mm -hmm. just blew exactly. up the whole thing about not wanting to invest in California because their real estate is hyper local folks. You can't even talk at the state level. You can talk generally, but Thank I can you. tell you that, you know, I I've stopped investing in Texas as a whole right now, but there are still little sub markets I would go to because they have a need and the, and the economics are right. So like exactly. and I want a neighborhood to be in. Right. I, I wanted to piggyback a little bit because I just wanted to say that, for those that if anybody ever tells you you can't make money in X market, don't listen to that right. person because it's just not true. Like somebody might say, oh, you can't make money in real estate in New York City. Well, all of these guys building and developing and owning these properties aren't idiots. Right. OK, they you know, it might be difficult. The strategy might be completely different. Um, if there if it wasn't for this program that the government gave, I probably wouldn't be investing in San Diego. Um, there are ways to make money and make great returns. It just might be a different strategy or you might have to combine several strategies uh, for one. Um, and two, like, you know, I, I wanted to say that like, you know, with, my, with this business model I'm working on, for example, it has some downsides. Like number one, I have to build the apartment and that's going to take me two to three years. Yeah. So there's not really any cash flow for two to three years. Now we're going to make a bunch of money once this thing's built and or once we exit. But if you're one of those investors that's focused only on cash on cash return, then yeah, it, this business model might not be for you. Um, but if you're just more concerned with the long road and you're willing to wait five years, um, you can do really, really well. You can make above 20% annualized returns, 20% IRRs. You can do that, but it's going to be a lot different than the other strategies you're used to hearing about with like value-add multifamily. So I love it, Sean. Thank you for bringing that insight and really kind of blowing up the notion that, like, I love what you said. You, if, you, if anyone ever tells you you can't make money somewhere, ask yourself, is every person who owns real estate in that market losing money or, or doing it for right. free? Right. I guarantee you, even in Detroit, Michigan, in the worst throes of that economy, right, people were making money in real estate. And there's something to be said. I mean, I'm, you know, if everyone's running this way and you run that way, you're probably going to have more opportunities to find than than others. Would. So I'll leave it there, Sean. And let's take it to the Quattro questions real quick. Learn a little bit more about you as a person. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. First one, Sean, what is your superpower? Could be life or business and how does it serve you? 
I think my superpower is um is man it it's uh it's it's data data and data geekness. Um I like to geek out on data. I like to just dig and dig and and memorize data um with flashcards and things like that so that I know it off the top of my head. Um I don't know if that's a superpower but um just uh the the just the power of digging super deep is like what I like to call it. Um, it's what I love to do. It's what I like to do with my underwriting and my pitch decks. So uh, I'm a data geek guy. It drives informed decisions, right? I love that. And it so does. let's take that to the other side of the coin, Sean. What is your biggest mistake? And it could be life or business. And what did you learn from it? Most importantly? Um, I would say my biggest mistake was, um, I'll say just business wise, uh, one of my business mistake, biggest mistakes was um, not jumping into allowing things to get in the way that ended up becoming the way. Um, and meaning, like I was unwilling to get onto the social media. I didn't really want to advert, like go crazy advertising the podcast. I didn't really want to jump on all kinds of other people's podcasts and fill up my schedule. Um, and I, I didn't want to put all the time and effort into writing blogs and articles and stuff like that. I just wanted to focus on the real estate stuff. But once I like realized I needed to cast a wider net to continue growing my company um, and bringing in more investors, and I actually got outside help with a business coach, and I changed that perspective and, and was willing to do everything, um, my business started to grow. So in other words, I was too worried about getting outside of my comfort zone and only focusing on what I wanted to do. And sometimes I think, especially if you're a young, uh, you know, uh, an entrepreneur in your infancy stage, uh, you can't have that stance. Just do everything. Um, cast a wide net. You never know, like as Marcus Aurelius said in his meditations, uh, sometimes, sometimes what is in the way becomes the way. So that ended up becoming the way that I grew my business. Yeah, so true, man. And and it's like, I think all of us who, who get into business, we, we think we're pretty smart, right? And we think we know a lot and, and we're, we're just going to go do it. And then you, you start to realize, wow, there's so much knowledge and experience out there that if I'm not out there talking about what I'm doing, I'm never going to find those people. Like it, just th take this podcast, for example. If I was not spending my time to do episodes with people I've never met before, I would have never known that there's an investment strategy in San Diego where I can make money using an ADU, right? That, that concept, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've done, you, you, people think about and solve problems differently and I'm a pretty smart guy, right? I, I'll, you know, I'll claim that, but I do not know it all. And so if you're not out there, you're not going to find that, you know? And uh, yeah, dude. So love, love opening up on that one. And uh, so let's take it to question number three. This is where we're going to give that plug we talk about. So I love to talk about free gifts, podcasts, stuff like that. So whatever you're doing that is value added to the audience, please lay it out right here and we can find it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, if you want to learn more about that ADU strategy, as far as how do you calculate how many units you could put on it? How does this program work? What are the rules? What are the laws? How much money can you make? How do you put the deals together? All that stuff. I wrote a book that's an ebook that's 100% free. You can get that from my website, investorshawn.com. Sean, I spell Sean, S-H-A-W-N. So just go to investorshawn.com. That's a great way to just, if you want to get in touch with me, you can 
click around and uh, find my social media, email, things like that. And again, scroll to the bottom of the page. You could download that ebook. I call it California Gold because I call this the California Gold Rush. I think it's only going to be around for so long. There's only so many lots that are big enough and make sense to do it on. Um, and I think over the next five years, most of those are going to get built on. So I call it the California Gold Rush. You can go read that for free. Um, no strings attached. I love that. I love that. And folks, that link um, will be, well, you didn't give us a link. You said, look for your name. But if you have a link, I'll get it from Sean and we'll put it in the show notes. So scroll down wherever you are and uh, you can click it right there. So last question, Sean, before I go there, do you have a link directly to that or should I just get it? Yeah, I got a link directly to the um, to the book that I'll give you guys. And I did forget to plug the podcast, uh, but that's also on that website, investorshawn.com. Uh, so you can follow along with that stuff. But I've got a link. We can put that in the show notes. So that all you guys got to do is click and you get it sent to you. If you guys you. are on YouTube, you're probably laughing at me so hard right now because the link is right over Sean's head, www.investorsshawn.com, S-H-A-W-N. <laughs> and that will be in the show notes for a clicking <laughs> pleasure. Thank you to my editor for making sure that happens. Love you, Kyle. Good, good job. <laughs> okay, so last question. And this goes to really the core of the of the the Quattro heartbeat here with at Quattro Capital, who sponsors this show, Real Estate Runway. You know, we operate by four pillars. It is first people coming together around a property that generates a profit, some of which is used for philanthropy, coming back and taking care of people. So, Sean, I'd love to give you the opportunity. I give everyone the opportunity on the show to share your heart of, you know, how do you give back and do good in the world? You know, whether it's time, giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your treasures, how do you do that? And how might the audience, uh, you know, do that with you? So uh, one of the things that I spent a lot of time doing was Big Brothers and Sisters program. I think most cities have that. I spent about six years with um, with my uh, little brother. And essentially, it's a program where you um, you know, kids that don't have good role models or maybe, you know, trouble with their family, uh, that need somebody to get them out of there and spend time with them. You can essentially sign up to be a big brother or sister, uh, and get one of these, uh, like get a child's, uh, assigned to you. And then it's just simply taking them out, you know, maybe to the movies, out to dinner, showing them what you do being a friend to them and somebody that they can look up to and open up to. I think it's an amazing program that you can find in most major cities. Um, and if you are in a, in a business where you could be a good role model for somebody, I think, you know, all it does is really require a little bit of your time. So that's one of the ways I've always loved to give back. I've always supported that program a ton. And I recommend if you're listening to this and you want a way to, to give back, I'm sure that there's a ton of kids out there uh, that would love to hang out with a real estate investor and uh, learn how they can do the same. I love that, Sean. I'm going to let that be the mic drop moment for the episode. Big brothers and big sisters, everybody. And folks, speaking of giving back, if you got any value out of the show whatsoever, pay it forward. We do this for your benefit. We do this for the benefit of others. The only way that someone else like you will hear this episode is if you like, subscribe, share, just do something to interact with the show and show the platform that you liked it. So thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Runway podcast. Sean, thanks for being here, brother. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Man. This has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. Until next time, over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.